Nothing on the Bonnell Foundation's Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast should be considered medical advice. Medical advice can only come from your CF physician. Cystic fibrosis can be a devastating diagnosis, but living with the disease can bring positivity and a new appreciation for each day. From the Bonnell Foundation in Detroit, Michigan, it's the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast, sponsored by Beatrice, Genentech, and Vertex. Here's your host, Laura Bonnell. This is a love story about two people passionate about entertainment, writing, and each other. In 2016, Clement, or Clem, Sueri moved from France. He is a lawyer who specializes in entertainment law. His career path landed him in the orbit of Travis Flores. Um, this is after Clem went and got his master's degree. Travis is a screenwriter and a children's book author, and he has cystic fibrosis. Travis Flores is living because of his third double lung transplant. Travis and Clem have been together for six years now and continue to face new challenges, but as they say, they are in this together, and Travis is in the end stage of renal disease. Travis could not join us on the podcast because he is hospitalized, but Clem tells us about their life together and what it is like being a caregiver. Clem, it's wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, absolutely. We're sorry that Travis couldn't join us, but you'll tell us in a little bit how he's doing. First of all, kind of take us on your journey, how the two of you met. Tell us a little bit about your love story of how you two found each other. It started online. On Instagram, Billy shot me a message and we agreed to meet, you know, like dating kind of. So we met and Travis has had already had his first transplant at the time and he was in rejection. Flat out, you know, he, he told me that, you know, he needed another donor and had another operation. So as a first date, it was really heavy. And I told him straight out, I told him, hey, you know, you probably don't need a boyfriend right now. You probably need a nurse or a doctor. But I don't think we were ready at the time to start something serious right there. But, you know, here and there I was popping out and I was asking him about updates, like how I was doing and just like a caring friend, you know. And at some point, I think he posted something on his socials and I saw him very thin. I saw him very struggling and he was admitted in the ER that day. And I think his mom asked him, hey, you know, you're in the ER, you're not very well at all. I don't want to be the one bearing a bad news or whatnot, but you have to inform your community that something's up. So that's what he did and posted that photo and he looked very sick and I asked him, hey, where are you? And he said, well, you know, it's on the post where I am. I'm in the ER right now. And I said, no, no, where are you in the ER? Because I'm there. Uh, so I showed up in the ER, of course, and he told me his uh, room number and started getting to know him much better at this point. Past a couple of months 
And now he has had his uh, second transplant, second lung transplant. And it was the very beginning of our relationship. It was in 2017. And, you know, we've been together since then. Is that a hard decision to make after what you learned and how you initially felt? Not only do you find out someone has cystic fibrosis, but he's already gone through one transplant when you met him. There were so many health concerns. What was your thought process going forward with the relationship? And is that even a fair question to ask? I mean, once you're committed to somebody. Well, you know, I really thought that after a transplant, you basically would be cured from cystic fibrosis. So I really was like, okay, if we pass the transplant, we're in a good zone here. And it's like dating a normal person. Well, I, I, I was not right, but, you know, I was fooled that way uh, in a good way. Because otherwise, I don't think I would have been on that boat, to be honest. Because it's like knowing everything you have to go through. It's really hard. It's really challenging. And when you come from the outside, it's a lot to carry and to accept. But, you know, the way we got to know each other and the way our dynamic works, I don't regret at all. Otherwise, I mean, it's one of the best things that happened to me. So I'm very grateful for that. Did you know anything about cystic fibrosis before you met Travis? So, yes, actually, as a baby, I was struggling breathing. I had asthma and whatnot. And my mother always told me that I had to do a, a sweat test. And my mom is a nurse. So she perfectly knew what a sweat test is and what a sweat test means for a lot of parents. It's like still like triggering anxiety because you can detect if somebody has cystic fibrosis in their sweat for some reason. Thank God I did not have cystic fibrosis. I just had asthma. But as a nurse, my mom was really like, oh God, I don't want to do that test at all. So I knew about cystic fibrosis through my mom, who's a nurse, and also through like different outlets. There were kind of a TV show as well, like The Voice, where a guy on there had cystic fibrosis. He was singing like extremely well and he won the competition and that was in the early 2000. So I knew about cystic fibrosis through that personality as well. He's a French, uh, I'm originally from France, so it's a French reality show. So I don't think uh, anyone would know that here, but that was also something that introduced me to cystic fibrosis in a very real way because that person fortunately passed away like a couple of years after winning that competition. It's been a, a big deal uh, and a big awareness outlet for cystic fibrosis as well. But why don't you update us on Travis? As I said in the introduction, he's an end stage uh, renal disease. Tell us how he is doing now, where he is, why he's not on the podcast with us. Right. So thanks for asking for, for some updates here. Um, so Travis 
went through uh, not one, not two, but three uh, double lung transplants. So we're at the third uh, lung transplant. So everything is good transplant wise, meaning that he's not in rejection. So that's a good thing, but it's to the price of his kidneys. Cause as many of you know, when you receive an organ from a donor, it's not yours. So basically your immune system tries to attack it. It's a natural reaction to a foreign body in your body. So you have to take uh, some uh, anti-rejection meds and those anti-rejection meds are really hard on everything that it goes through, meaning your digestive systems and your kidneys. So having had three double lung transplants, you can imagine the amount of anti-rejection meds he's having right now to keep those third lungs because I don't think there are going to be a fourth chance of transplanting him. So he's under a lot of anti-rejection medication, uh, which are really hard on his kidneys. So he's in end-stage renal disease now. He's doing dialysis three times a week uh, for three, four hours at a time. So it's like a working schedule. When you get to it, it's it's okay to manage. And right now he's having a, a minor infection in his lungs. So the um, doctors are trying to put him on different antibiotics just not to build a resistance to it. So that's why he's in the hospital right now, just to fight um, an infection and to monitor his kidney's health. And down the line, we're hoping to have a kidney transplant in the coming year. And it's so much for him to go through physically, mentally, right? But as a caregiver, I also know how much it is for you. So how do you manage it? You're a full-time attorney. How do you manage your career and caring for your partner? Right. Well, I mean, I have the luxury to uh, do my own schedule. So when there's time that I need to be there, I can take that time off or I can take my iPad or a computer and work on his bedside. But otherwise, Travis is very good at managing his own health and, you know, taking his meds. I drive him back and forth from dialysis, though, because I know it's very demanding. But, you know, when he's here, you know, we can cook together. We can do a lot of things together. And, you know, he's working as his own rhythm as well, uh, working on the book right now, working on scripts, because uh, Travis is a writer. So that's also a job that he can do at his own pace. So we're really fortunate in not having nine to five jobs per se and being able to manage our schedules around his health. Still, it has to mentally be a lot. Do you ever feel overwhelmed, even though, of course, you would do anything for him? But I mean, I feel the same way with my daughters. Of course, I would do anything for them. But sometimes it's just it's just so much. And it's so sad that I have to watch them go through it and I can only do so much. So I just wonder, how do you feel, you know, three transplants in and everything that he's still dealing with? Right. I mean, 
as a caregiver, in a way, you, you'll understand that sometimes you're, you feel like helpless and powerless and, and it's really affecting you in a way. Like it's always, oh, I can't do that. Like if I could like give my veins so they don't have to roll out every time you're doing an IV or if I could give you just one day of my health, just giving you one day of break and I can carry your disease just for one day to give you a break. You really feel, you know, powerless and helpless and really affects you morally. But then you have to shift your focus on instead of what you cannot do to help them to what you can do to help them. And in that aspect, just being around him and supporting him and understanding his needs. That's where I find comfort. And for the little things that I can do, I'm, I'm really happy to do them because it also relieves me from that passive attitude and that almost depressing sense of being powerless. And that's wonderful all that you just shared because everyone else can also relate to what you're saying. How is Travis doing mentally? How does he, you know, keep his spirits uplifted as he's going through all of this? Well, I mean, I'm glad that you mentioned that he has an uplifting attitude towards it. And I really incite him to share that on social media because there's a lot of people that are looking up to him as a big brother in a way or somebody that goes through a lot and and keep doing it and I think it gives a lot of hope to a lot of people so I really encourage him to show that aspect but it's not real life in a way that you only select the things you want to share for the whole rest of it this is something that is at home you know there's days he stays in bed because the pain is there because he just don't want it or sometimes i go to the hospital and you know give him a hug give him a kiss and i can feel his body being weak and thin you can feel his bones right under the skin i'm like oh this is not a good day this is not a good situation we are here but I also try to keep it for me sometimes, you know, when he's asking, hey, how, how do I look? I say, it always look great. I don't know what you're talking about. When I can see sometimes, you know, it's really getting to him. I mean, he really tries his best to share good moments, but sometimes, you know, it gets to him and he shares bad moments. And I think we all can relate to that. It's, it's really human. You cannot have only good days. I think that's really true and important to stay. And, you know, I met him once, and I think it was at a CFRI concert in California, where you are, and he was waiting for one of his transplants. It was either his second or his third when I met him. Maybe it was his second. But he was really thin on oxygen. But like you said, great attitude, wanted to just be present. And it was wonderful to meet him. Right. I think I remember that event. Dylan, he um, wore a back uh, brace at the time because he I just got so. hit by a car or something. 
Yeah, you see, there's always something happening there. And I think he was waiting for his third transplant. And he just got into um, into a car accident uh, just before being evaluated for all that. So until his back was healed, they didn't want to touch him or evaluate him uh, for getting a third transplant. But like all those things, you know, he tries to joke about it. Um, but the real struggle, you have it when we get home and we close the door and then, you know, he just like falls on like in your arms and say, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. Like this is too much. One more thing to do, one more thing to battle. Like, for instance, here he had the immense chance to have a third transplant, which is something that I don't even know how we got there, but he got the chance to have a team of doctors that agreed to give him a third chance when we know how rare it is to only have an organ like lungs. So he got that chance and still it's not, not working, but he's not living his best life yet. He's caught up by renal problems now. It's getting to him. And of course, I mean, who wouldn't be down by all that? Like you fix one problem or you live your whole life managing one problem, which is mostly lungs and like breathing and digestive problems. And then you're hit by something new. You're hit by diabetes. You're hit by renal failure. You're hit by osteoporosis because your anti-rejection medication, which are, are steroids sometimes, you know, it decays your bones and your teeth and you have to go through all that. And the renal disease causes hair loss. So it's like always something coming up. And, you know, as he told me many times, he said, you know, my lungs, I can manage that. I've managed that for so long. I know, I know my body so well. I know my lungs so well. All those other things that happened to me. I, I can't control that. And that's exactly what gets to me. Because from a very young age, I've been used to my lung problems, my digestive problems, taking my enzymes and so on. But all those new things that he has to learn, that's really what's getting to him. And, you know, I was talking about hair loss, you know, teeth decay, dialysis. He had appendicitis. All of that is, I think, really getting, and it's really the problem for him, I believe. And in all of this, it really seems like he does inspire you. In all that he's going through, he keeps on fighting, right? And right, yeah. I mean, this is very admirable. I think he, he he's a superhero in that way. Like, you can throw stuff at him and he will endure. It's really amazing how the human body can be resilient. And his is really something. Like, we can talk about how problematic his body is, but his mental and his body's ability to take in pain is really admirable. When he's not in pain and going through all this, although I know there's so much of it now, as you've been saying, do you get out and do things? Are you able to enjoy just an average day? Yes. So 
average day enjoying right now is, you know, being on a couch and watching a good movie or, you know, going to see a movie or last year we went to New York and we went to see all the Broadways we could. It was one Broadway every, every night for a week. So, you know, that's something we try to do. But right now, honestly, with dialysis and all that, as I told you, a good day is a day with no complaint and just, you know, we can watch a movie together because I think he's also, and I don't think we talk about that enough, but I think he really has the anxiety and the capability of enjoying his life like a normal person because just by, you know, living his day, he's still hit by stuff. He's still hit by right now an infection and not pushing, not, you know, going to a mall or just like walking by the beach or stuff like that. I think there's a lot of guilt and he just wants so much to have a break from all that, that I think he restricts his activity to something very safe. And I think there's a lot of anxiety also from the chronic disease community with gatherings and with COVID, you know, there were a lot of restriction in place and all that. And I think it really hits the chronic illness community because now there's that anxiety, that fear of getting something that will put you in the hospital for two weeks, whether it's COVID or cold or something else. I think there's a lot of anxiety that our loved one have going out in public places. Is he on a kidney transplant list? Like, is that even an option for him? So we wished he would have had his transplant while he was getting his third lung transplant. You know, there were a donor that was a match for him for his lungs. So it would have been logical to take the kidneys from the same donor. Unfortunately, or fortunately, he was not in uh, renal failure at the time. So we could not have benefited from that renal transplant during that time he got his third lung transplant. So now he's, you know, doing what every uh, renal patient he's doing, which is uh, dialysis a few times a week. And he's good for evaluation this July. So we're going to meet the doctors. We're going to, you know, have a little talk about, you know, what it is to being transplanted for a kidney. And we're probably going to have a timeline of uh, what it is. Can he have like um, a living donor? How long is it to have a deceased donor? So we'll know all that this uh, July. I really don't believe that he will be uh, seriously considered to receive a kidney transplant, but at least it's going to give us some some perspective on what to expect from that aspect. You know, being in the hospital for so long and so often for the last year has really diminished his uh, chances for seriously being evaluated for transplant this July. But at least from that appointment, we will have a timeline and what are the criterias to qualify him for a transplant. Because that's another thing, you know, for having a transplant, you have to be sick enough for needing 
that organ, but you have to be healthy enough to give that organ the best chance of, you know, survival in your body. So it's really a weird zone you have to be in to qualify for transplant, whatever the organ, the transplanted organ is. Are you scared? I mean, you must be, you must be worried. Like, what are your thoughts as you come up to this, you know, decision time? Well, honestly, I, I've never been afraid um, from him going into any sort of procedure. It's strange. Maybe it's denial, but I've always been, oh, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, procedure. They just, you know, crack your body up and just replace your lungs or, you know. And honestly, that would probably terrify me if it happened to me. But for some reason, if it happens to Travis, I'm like, that guy knows so well. Uh, his body is invincible. And I, I'm sure it's denial, but I'm never scared of him going under any sort of procedure. And I think, weirdly, it helps him also believing in himself when I don't question uh, whether that procedure is dangerous or not, or when I don't question his chances of success. It's never something that crosses my mind. I'm like, I trust the team, you know, I meet them like every every month or so. And I know Travis, I know that he's doing it well. And I mean, would that happen to any other person? I probably would be scared. But for some weird reason, it happens to Travis. And I'm like, hey, he's going to be fine. It can only be better. It's so strange. I do understand what you're saying, but his mother must love and adore you and be so happy that Travis has you as support. And of course, I'm sure she's there as well, but you're a family, obviously. Great yes. And they have, they have a great relationship together. Uh, I think it's conflictual sometimes, but you know, with, with every parent, I think, I think it's the same, you know, when they're, hear too much or hear not enough it's always it's always problematic and his mom lives in ohio so it's really hard for her to be there but you know for every every aspect of his life when it's administrative work you know oh i have to uh you know deal with your insurance and whatnot it's like oh okay that's gonna be mom that's not gonna be me that's not gonna be travis mom will deal with that you know and they have a really strong bond together that is so special. She knows him uh, better than I do. And she's been his support his entire childhood, going through doctor's appointment, going through, you know, the scares and, you know, not disclosing anything because I think it's public, but his mom has had um, cancer. She, she has had like skin cancer as well. So, you know, they really have a strong relationship and she also trusts me and I have a great relationship with her as well. And I update her on what's going on, on his health and all that. So I think she also is happy in a way that Travis found me and we found each other. Because, yeah, I, I really feel like she believes that I gave her a break in some ways and she can, you know, let Travis live his life with me, knowing that 
he's going to be well taken care of and I'm going to be there uh, for him instead of her. And what are your hopes for the future, for the two of you, for yourself? What are your dreams going forward? Well, that's big. Um, you know, right now it's, it's hard to see past one year. You know, we're even making plans to travel. It's complicated because, you know, you have uh, dialysis to go to. So you have to fly domestic to see if a dialysis center can take care of you while you're in vacation. And do you really want to take vacation when you have to, you know, go three times a week to a dialysis center? You know, it's like all the plants are a little suspended here. But yeah, if the minute, you know, we can take a vacation, that's going to be our goal, you know, traveling. I'm originally from France, so he has never been to France. That would be a great thing for him to, you know, see different cultures, different parts of the world. Uh, we would like to travel. We would like to, you know, buy a house and, you know, just living our life. He would like probably to have a complete career as well. I would like to, you know, also work more, uh, being more active in my activity. And right now his health is not enabling us to do that. But yeah, I would say travel and being able to get a mortgage for a house. <laughs> and where are you from in France? And is your family still there? Yes. Um, so my family is still there. I just come back from my brother's wedding, my older brother's wedding in May. And uh, we are from the region of uh, Versailles, which is like 30 minutes uh, west of Paris. So it's really easy, you know, even living in a, in a big city like Los Angeles, I have direct flights to see my family. So it's not as bad. And it's really important for me to go and visit my family, to resource myself, to be a better person when I come back to be energized when I come back, you know, to work and take care of Travis. It's really important. I, I really need that time with my family and I try to visit them quite often. And I'm really fortunate that, you know, Travis allows me to do that, that I can, you know, take a break, you know, a few days, a few times a year. And it's really resourceful, you know, having a niece and nephew you know, it gives you a break from all the heavy stuff waiting for you at home. Mm -hmm. How does your career take you away? You're an entertainment lawyer. So is that also a bit of an escape for you as well? It is. It is. I really enjoy what I'm doing. And I think I have also the luxury of working from home. I have the luxury of having a, a, a career that I enjoy uh, meeting different people, uh, working on, you know, different projects, different aspects of contract law, managing talents. It's really a fulfilling career in that way. But again, you know, I would hope to do more to that aspect. But right now, I cannot do more. You know, I have to do work to make a living and I also have to take time to enjoy my time with Travis and take care of him. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you sharing 
your life with everybody and all the honest things that you've shared. You know, I don't know if you can, like, what would Travis maybe want to say about, you know, his situation and his ability to keep going forward despite all that he physically and emotionally has to deal with? Well, you know, I think Travis, um, I don't know how to say that. Um, Travis is always an upbeat person and he always wants people to keep fighting despite their illness. And I believe his positive view of the future, the promise that things will get better despite things hitting you is really what drives him. And I think that he would say that no matter what you're going through, you have the chance to be alive. And it's a one in a gazillion chance that you have to be alive. So you have to fight for it. And despite everything the life throws at you, it may make you a better person, a person that is more caring, a more caring person, a person that can put themselves into somebody else's shoes. And yeah, a more human person, knowing that we need each other's just for anything. Like we're social animals. We need each other. And thinking that you're better than somebody else is not the way to go. Well, thank you again, Clement, for sharing your love story and of for course, letting thank us you. know how you're both doing. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you very much. The original music in this podcast is performed by Kevin Allen. It's not complicated. Who happens to have cystic fibrosis. We all got our worries and fears. I know what's got you frustrated. But loving you is so all right. This has been the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast. For more information and to learn more about the Bonnell Foundation, visit our website at thebonnellfoundation.org. That's the B-O-N-N-E-L-L foundation.org. This podcast was sponsored by Beatrice, Genentech, and Vertex. It was produced by Jagged Detroit Podcasts. Follow our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.